now we come to my favorite of the three series, Harry Potter. Harry Potter is far less positive about the death penalty than Narnia, but less obviously adamantly anti-death penalty than Lord of the Rings. Some context about the time frame in which Rowling wrote it may be appropriate. In 1998, the year Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets was published, Britain officially abolished the death penalty for all crimes, but meanwhile, the U.S., which was a very lucrative market for the book series, was in the midst of a heyday for death penalty support. After having been the party in which death penalty opponents were most likely to join in the 1800s, the Republican Party had undergone a rightward shift in the 1960s that had translated into much greater support for the death penalty. Meanwhile, in the 60s and 70s, the Democratic Party had been the home of most death penalty opponents, I should say become the home of most death penalty opponents, but the death penalty had heavy bipartisan support. In 1994, Bill Clinton signed a crime bill that, ex that expanded the number of federal capital crimes from 3 to 60. While 104 Democrats voted for a provision to remove the death penalty and replace it with life imprisonment, a majority of Democrats, specifically 149, voted with the vast majority of Republicans in favor of the death penalty provision of the bill. In 2022, 27 states have capital punishment. In the late 1990s, 38 did. Thus, when Harry Potter was taking the Atlantic world by storm, capital punishment had become a major cultural difference between the U.S. and U.K. in a way that it hadn't been when Narnia and Lord of the Rings were published. Before getting into the books themselves, I want to very briefly touch on how capital punishment is depicted in the Fantastic Beasts films. Early on, Newt, a British wizard and our protagonist, laments how backward American wizarding society is, specifically referencing American laws against wizards and witches marrying muggles. This is going to be relevant, I promise. As a historian sitting in the theater watching this movie six years and a month ago, I immediately thought this is supposed to parallel the fact that many U.S. states banned interracial marriage, but England never did. This is referenced again in the second film, Crimes of Grindelwald, when a witch named Queenie, in love with a muggle named Jacob, mentions that Wizarding Britain is comparatively progressive because it allows witches and muggles to marry. Thus, a motif in the series is that Wizarding America is more backward compared to Wizarding Britain. This motif also pops up with execution. In the first film, Newt and another character named Tina are almost executed by the American Wizarding government. I would argue that this scene is probably meant to further underscore the idea of British Wizarding society being less backward and remind viewers that in real life the U.S. executes people and the U.K. doesn't. The third Harry Potter book, Prisoner of Azkaban, is the book that most prominently features what could be construed as a critique of capital punishment. There are two parallel stories related to the wizarding justice system, which eventually become interconnected. In the main storyline, Sirius Black, a wizard who is believed to have betrayed Harry's parents and killed 12 muggles and the wizard Peter Pettigrew, escapes from the wizarding prison Azkaban. It's believed that he's hunting down Harry. Meanwhile, creatures called Dementors, who were assigned to guard Azkaban, are trying to recapture Sirius and have been given permission to perform the Dementor's kiss if and when they find him. The Dementor's kiss involves sucking out a person's soul, 
and leaving them with nothing but their worst memory ever. For example, Disney might be left with the time with the memory of the time that they bought the film rights for Narnia, and it was so unprofitable they had to sell it to someone else. The kiss is described as a fate worse than death. It seems to be the wizarding equivalent of capital punishment. There's no reference to the death penalty being used for wizards. And performing the Avada Kedavra curse is a big no-no. The Avada Kedavra curse, of course, being the curse that kills somebody instantly. When Harry finds out that Sirius allegedly betrayed his parents, he's actually not that gung-ho about killing him. This is something that the absolutely abysmal film adaptation of Prisoner of Azkaban changed, but we can chalk this up to thing number 394, that this special effect orgy of a film messed up from the books. Though I should note that this was far less bad than many of the other changes that it made from the book series. Quote, So what are you saying, said Ron, looking very tense. You want to kill Black or something? Don't be silly, said Hermione in a panicky voice. Harry doesn't want to kill anyone, do you, Harry? Again, Harry didn't answer. He didn't know what he wanted to do. All he knew was that the idea of doing, of doing nothing while Black was at liberty was almost more than he could stand. Malfoy knows, he said abruptly. Remember what he said to me in potions? If it was me, I'd hunt him down myself. I'd want revenge. You're going to take Malfoy's advice instead of ours, said Ron furiously. Listen, you know what Pettigrew's mother got back after Black finished with him? Dad told me the Order of Merlin first class and Pettigrew's finger in a box. That was the biggest bit of him they could find. Black's a madman, Harry, and he's dangerous. Malfoy's dad must have told him, said Harry, ignoring Ron. He was right in Voldemort's inner circle. Say you know who, will you? interjected Ron angrily. So obviously the Malfoys knew Black was working for Voldemort, and Malfoy had loved to see you blown into about a million pieces like Pettigrew. Get a grip. Malfoy's just hoping you'll get yourself killed before he has to play you at Quidditch. Harry, please, said Hermione, her eyes now shining with tears. Please be sensible. Black did a terrible, terrible thing, but don't put yourself in danger. It's what Black wants. Oh, Harry, you'd be playing right into Black's hands if you went looking for him. Your mum and dad wouldn't want you to get hurt, would they? They wouldn't want you to go looking for Black. I'll never know what they'd have wanted, because thanks to Black, I've never spoken to them, said Harry shortly. A little while later, Harry and Professor Lupin have a debate about the Dementor's Kiss that parallels a lot of debates about capital punishment and has shades of the Gandalf-Frodo debate, although Lupin's argument is different from Gandalf's. What's under a Dementor's hood? Professor Lupin lowered his bottle thoughtfully. Hmm. Well, the only people who really know are in no condition to tell us. You see, the Dementor lowers its hood, only to use its last and worst weapon. What's that? They call it the Dementor's Kiss, said Lupin with a slightly twisted smile. It's what Dementors do to those they wish to destroy utterly. I suppose there must be some kind of mouth under there, because they clamp their jaws upon the mouth of the victim and, and suck out his soul. Harry accidentally spit out a bit of butterbeer. What, they, they kill? Oh no, said Lupin, much worse than that. You can exist without your soul, you know, as long as your brain and heart are still working. But you'll have no sense of self anymore. No memory, no anything. There's no chance at all of recovery. You'll just exist as an empty shell. And your soul is gone forever, lost. Lupin drank a little more butterbeer, then said, It's the fate that awaits Sirius Black. It was in the Daily Prophet this morning. The Ministry have given the Dementors permission to perform it if they find him. Harry sat stunned for a moment at the idea of someone having their soul sucked out through their mouth. But then he thought of Black. He deserves it, he said suddenly. You think so? said Lupin lightly. 
Do you really think anyone deserves that? Yes, said Harry defiantly, for some things, end quote. Here we see that Harry is feeling that Sirius and perhaps certain other people deserve the wizard equivalent of execution. Lupin suggests that this is a brutal punishment that nobody deserves. While Harry is in the Frodo role here, and Lupin more in the Gandalf role, Lupin uses a different argument. Unlike Gandalf, he refuses to concede the idea that anyone deserves this kind of punishment. Later in the story, the roles are reversed. Harry comes face to face with Sirius and finds out Sirius didn't betray his parents, Peter Pettigrew did. Sirius is eager to kill Peter as punishment, and Lupin, somewhat surprisingly, is 100% on board. Harry, however, has moved toward the equivalent of an anti-death penalty position. Notably, he wants Peter's life spared, despite seemingly assuming that Peter won't be given the Dementor's kiss. Quote, Black and Lupin stood shoulder to shoulder, wands raised. You should have realized, said Lupin quietly, if Voldemort didn't kill you, we would. Goodbye, Peter. Hermione covered her face with her hands and turned to the wall. No, Harry yelled. He ran forward, placing himself in front of Pettigrew, facing the wands. You can't kill him, he said breathlessly. You can't. Black and Lupin both looked staggered. Harry, this piece of vermin is the reason you have no parents, Black snarled. This cringing bit of filth would have seen you die too without turning a hair. You heard him. His own stinking skin meant more to him than your whole family. I know, Harry panted. We'll take him up to the castle. We'll hand him over to the mentors. He can go to Azkaban, but don't kill him. Harry, gasped Pettigrew, and he flung his arms around Harry's knees. You, thank you. It's more than I deserve. Thank you. Get off me, Harry spat, throwing Peter's hands off him in disgust. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it because I don't reckon my dad would have wanted them to become killers just for you. No one moved or made a sound except Pettigrew, whose breath was coming in wheezes as he clutched his chest. Black and Lupin were looking at each other. Then, with one movement, they lowered their wands. You're the only person who has the right to decide, Harry, said Black. But think think what he did. He can go to Azkaban, Harry repeated. If anyone deserves that place, he does. Pettigrew was still wheezing behind him. Very well, said Lupin. Stand aside, Harry. Harry hesitated. I'm going to tie him up, said Lupin. That's all, I swear. Harry stepped out of the way. Thin cord shot from Lupin's wand, this time. And next moment, Pettigrew was wriggling on the floor, bound and gagged. But if you transform Peter, growled Black, his own wand pointed at Pettigrew too, we will kill you. You agree, Harry? Harry looked down at the pitiful figure on the floor and nodded so that Peter could see him. End quote. In a parallel subplot in the story, Hagrid's first Care of Magical Creatures class goes awry due to Draco Malfoy acting recklessly with a hippogriff, a half-horse, half-eagle creature. After Hagrid specifically warns everyone not to insult hippogriffs, Malfoy insults one of them and gets scratched on the arm. Because Wizarding Society is stuck in 1885 on animal welfare, Draco's father, Lucius, uses his, inf his influence to have the hippogriff sentenced to beheading, and nobody besides Hermione, Harry, Ron, Dumbledore, and Hagrid seem to care. The Buckbeak serious storylines converge near the end. Buckbeak is beheaded, Peter escapes, and Sirius is given the Dementor's kiss. But on the advice of Dumbledore, Hermione uses a time-turner device, and she and Harry go back in time to save both Buckbeak and Sirius. Sirius then rides Buckbeak to freedom. The sentence is given to both the Hippogriff and the Human, both read as a critique of problems in the justice system, including the inherent dangers of giving government the power to execute, and a warning on how this authority can affect innocent individuals. 
Peter's escape might be read as an endorsement of the death penalty, and Harry seems to feel this way at first, but Dumbledore sets him straight. Quote, Professor Dumbledore, yesterday, when I was having my divination exam, Professor Trelawney went very, very strange. Indeed, said Dumbledore. Er, stranger than usual, you mean? Yes, her voice went all deep and her eyes rolled and she said, she said Voldemort's servant was going to set out and to return to him before midnight. She said the servant would help him come back to power. Harry stared at Dumbledore. And then she sort of became normal again and she couldn't remember anything she'd said. Was it, was she making a real prediction? Dumbledore looked mildly impressed. Did you know, Harry? Do you know, Harry? I think she might have been, he said thoughtfully. Who'd have thought it? That brings her total of real predictions up to two. I should offer her a pay raise. But, Harry looked at him aghast. How could Dumbledore take this so calmly? But I stopped Sirius and Professor Lupin from killing Pettigrew. That makes it my fault if Voldemort comes back. It does not, said Dumbledore quietly. Hasn't your experience with the time-turner taught you anything, Harry? The consequences of our actions are always so complicated, so diverse, that predicting the future is a very difficult business indeed. Professor Trelawney, bless her, is living proof of that. You did a very noble thing in saving Pettigrew's life. But if he helps Voldemort back to power, Pettigrew owes his life to you. You have sent Voldemort a deputy who is in your debt. When one wizard saves another wizard's life, it creates a certain bond between them. And I'm, and I'm much mistaken if Voldemort wants his servant in the debt of Harry Potter. I don't want a connection with Pettigrew, said Harry. He betrayed my parents. This is magic at its deepest, its most impenetrable, Harry. But trust me, the time may come when you will be very glad you saved Pettigrew's life. Harry couldn't imagine when that would be. Dumbledore looked as though he knew what Harry was thinking. I knew your father very well, both at Hogwarts and later, Harry, he said gently. He would have saved Pettigrew too, I'm sure of it. End quote. Here, much more so than Lupin, Dumbledore is in the Gandalf role, telling Harry that Peter, like Gollum, may have some sort of positive role to play in the coming struggle, and that sparing his life was the right thing to do. Much like with Gollum, Dumbledore's prediction at first seems delusional, as Pettigrew helps Voldemort return to power. But let's put a pin in that part of the story and look, how cap look at how capital punishment is handled in Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix. After the climax of Goblet of Fire, a Dementor sucks out the soul of Barty Crouch Jr., a murderer who helped Peter facilitate Voldemort's rise, return back to power, and tried to have Harry killed, then tried to kill him directly. But despite all this, the Dementor's kiss is portrayed as unambiguously negative. Quote, Fudge came striding up the ward. Professors McGonagall and Snape were at his heels. Where's Dumbledore, Fudge demanded of Mrs. Weasley. He's not here, said Mrs. Weasley angrily. This is a hospital wing, Minister. Don't you think you'd do better to... But the door opened and Dumbledore came sweeping up the ward. What has happened, said Dumbledore sharply, looking from, from Fudge to Professor McGonagall. Why are you disturbing these people? Minerva, I'm surprised at you. I asked you to stand guard over Barty Crouch. There's no need to stand guard at him uh, over him anymore, Dumbledore, she shrieked. The minister has seen to that. Harry had never seen Professor McGonagall lose control like this. There were angry blotches of color in her cheeks, and her hands were balled into fists. She was trembling with fury. When we told Mr. Fudge that we had caught the Death Eater responsible for tonight's events, said Snape in a low voice, he seemed to feel his personal safety was in question. He insisted on summoning a Dementor to accompany him into the castle. He brought it up to the office where Barty Crouch... I told him you would not agree, Dumbledore, Professor McGonagall fumed. 
I told him you would never allow Dementors to set foot inside the castle, but... My dear woman, roared Fudge, who likewise looked angrier than Harry had ever seen him. As Minister of Magic, it is my decision whether I wish to bring protection with me when interviewing a potentially dangerous... But Professor McGonagall's voice drowned Fudge's. The moment that that thing entered the room, she screamed, pointing at Fudge, trembling all over. It swooped down on Crouch and... and... Harry felt a chill in his stomach as Professor McGonagall struggled to find words to describe what had happened. He did not need her to finish the sentence. He knew what the Dementor must have done. It had administered its fatal kiss to Barty Crouch. It had sucked his soul out through his mouth. He was worse than dead. By all accounts, he is no loss, blustered Fudge. It seems he has been responsible for several deaths. But he cannot now give testimony, Cornelius, said Dumbledore. He was staring hard at Fudge as though seeing him plainly for the first time. He cannot give evidence about why he killed those people. Why he killed them? Well, that's no mystery, is it? Blustered Fudge. He was a raving lunatic. From what Minerva and Severus have told me, he seems to have thought he was doing it all on you-know-who's instructions. Lord Voldemort was giving him instructions, Cornelius, Dumbledore said. Those people's deaths were mere byproducts of a plan to restore Voldemort to full strength again. The plan succeeded. Voldemort has been restored to his body. End quote. Notably, it is only Fudge, the most negatively portrayed character in the scene, who is okay with what happened to Crouch. For various humanitarian and pragmatic reasons, every other character except possibly Snape, and even Snape seems to be upset, is upset about the fact that the wizarding version of execution was performed. Harry, despite having every reason to hate Crouch, seems to express sympathy for his fate. We already know that Dumbledore dislikes the fact that the wizarding government works with Dementors, suggesting that while his main reason for being upset in this scene is that Crouch cannot testify, he probably also opposes the Dementors' kiss on humanitarian grounds. Early in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Harry has to cast a Patronus to save himself and his cousin Dudley Dursley from Dementors, and is then forced to go on trial before the Ministry of Magic to avoid expulsion from Hogwarts. His uncle Vernon Dursley expresses his enthusiasm for capital punishment in this bit of dialogue. Quote, well, said Uncle Vernon, recalling Harry to his surroundings, what now? Had they sentenced you to anything? Do your lot have the death penalty, he added, as a hopeful afterthought? I've got to go to a hearing, said Harry, and they'll sentence you? I suppose so. I won't give up hope then, said Uncle Vernon nastily, end quote. This seems to be a dig at the death penalty. Vernon and Petunia Dursley are written to be reprehensible people, as is Dudley in the first five books. With this in mind, it seems that Vernon's support for the death penalty is meant to be a critique of conservative support for the death penalty and right-wing politics generally. Dudley's use of a homophobic joke in the prior chapter reads similarly. In other words, Vernon's support for the death penalty reflects his conservative politics, which is yet another thing about him readers are meant to dislike. In the climax... We get the first written encounter between Dumbledore and present-day Voldemort, which is also the last written encounter. You do, quote, You do not seek to kill me, Dumbledore, called Voldemort, his scarlet eyes narrowed over the top of his shield. Above such brutality are you? We both know that there are other ways of destroying a man, Tom, Dumbledore said calmly, continuing to walk toward Voldemort as though he had not a fear in the world, as though nothing had happened to interrupt his stroll up the hall. Merely taking your life would not satisfy me, I admit. There is nothing worse than death, Vault, Dumbledore, snarled Voldemort. You are quite wrong, said Dumbledore. 
still closing in upon Voldemort and speaking as lightly as though they were discussing the matter over drinks, Harry felt scared to see him walking along undefended, shieldless. He wanted to cry out a warning, but his headless guard kept shunt shunting him backwards toward the wall, blocking his every attempt to get out from behind it. Indeed, your failure to understand that there are things much worse than death has always been your greatest weakness. Another jet of green light flew from behind the silver shield, end quote. Dumbledore's comments can be read in multiple ways. They might be read as indicating support for punishments even more brutal than capital punishment, such as the Dementor's kiss or other forms of torture. At the same time, it should be noted that some opponents of the death penalty, probably including those whose objections are partly humanitarian, have argued that the death penalty is an easy way out for killers, and that life imprisonment is the harsher, better punishment. There is sort of a reference to this mindset in the climax of the 1962 version of Cape Fear. Here we come to the biggest reason why I consider Harry Potter to be much less explicitly anti-death penalty than Lord of the Rings. Harry realizes that a prophecy states that either he or Voldemort must kill the other one. As the series comes closer to its climax, the idea of imprisoning Voldemort is never seriously entertained. Killing him is generally presented as the only option, the implication being that imprisoning him may not be possible. This might suggest that in contrast to Lord of the Rings, where even someone as dangerous as Saruman was imprisoned, Rowling might have been suggesting that in some cases, death sentences are appropriate. On the other hand, since it's Harry himself who is expected to kill Voldemort and not the government, extrapolating an endorsement of the death penalty from this may be a stretch. In my view... The series' low-key anti-death penalty stance, even with Voldemort, is confirmed in Voldemort's final scene. Quote, Yes, Dumbledore's dead, said Harry calmly, but you didn't have him killed. He chose his own manner of dying. Chose it months before he died, arranged the whole thing with the man you thought was your servant. What childish dream is this, said Voldemort, but he still did not strike and his red eyes did not waver from Harry's. Severus Snape wasn't yours, said Harry. Snape was Dumbledore's. Dumbledore's from the moment you started hunting down my mother, and you never realized it because of the thing you couldn't understand. You never saw Snape cast a Patronus, did you, Riddle? Voldemort did not answer. They continued to circle each other like wolves about to tear each other apart. Snape's Patronus was a doe, said Harry, the same as my mother's, because he loved her for nearly all his life from the time when they were children. You should have realized, he said, as he saw Voldemort's nostrils flare. He asked you to spare her life, didn't he? He desired her, that was all, sneered Voldemort, but when she had gone, he agreed that there were other women, and of purer blood, worthier of him. Of course he told you that, said Harry, but he was Dumbledore's spy from the moment you threatened her, and he's been working against you ever since. Dumbledore was already dying when Snape, when Snape finished him. It matters not, shrieked Voldemort, who had followed every word with rapt attention, but now let out a cackle of mad laughter. It matters not whether Snape was mine or Dumbledore's, or what petty obstacles they tried to put in my path. I crushed them as I crushed your mother, Snape's supposed great lover. Oh, but it all makes sense, Potter, and in ways that you do not understand. Dumbledore was trying to keep the Elder Wand from me. He intended that Snape should be the true master of the wand, but I got there ahead of you, little boy. I reached the wand before you could get your hands on it. I understood the truth before you caught up. I killed Severus Snape three hours ago. And the Elder Wand, the Death Stick, the Wand of Destiny, is truly mine. Dumbledore's last plan went wrong, Harry Potter. Yeah, it did, said Harry. You're right. But before you try to kill me, I'd advise you to think about what you've done. Think and try for some remorse, Riddle. What is this? Of all the things that Harry had said to him, beyond any revelation or taunt, nothing had shocked Voldemort like this.
Harry saw his pupils contact into thin slits, saw the skin around his eyes whiten. It's your one last chance, said Harry. It's all you've got left. I've seen what you'll be otherwise. Be a man. Try. Try for some remorse. You dare? said Voldemort again. Yes, I dare, said Harry, because Dumbledore's last plan hasn't backfired on me at all. It's backfired on you, Riddle. Voldemort's hand was trembling on the Elder Wand, and Harry gripped Draco's very tightly. The moment he knew was seconds away. The wand isn't working properly for you because you murdered the wrong person. Severus Snape was never the true master of the Elder Wand. He never defeated Dumbledore. He killed... Aren't you listening? Snape never beat Dumbledore. Dumbledore's death was planned between them. Dumbledore intended to die undefeated, the wand's last true master. If all had gone as planned, the wand's power would have died with him because it had never been won from him. But then, Potter, Dumbledore as good as gave me the wand. Voldemort's voice shook with malicious pleasure. I stole the wand from its last master's tomb. I removed it against its last master's wishes. Its power is mine. You still don't get it, Riddle, do you? Possessing the wand isn't enough. Holding it, using it, doesn't really make it yours. Didn't you listen to Ollivander? The wand chooses the wizard. The Elder Wand recognized a new master before Dumbledore died, someone who never even laid a hand on it. The new master removed the wand from Dumbledore against his will, never realizing exactly what he had done, or that the world's most dangerous wand had given him its allegiance. Voldemort's chest rose and fell rapidly, and Harry could feel the curse coming, feel it building inside the wand pointed at his face. The true master of the Elder Wand was Draco Malfoy. Blank shock showed in Voldemort's face for a moment, but then it was gone. But what does it matter, he said softly. Even if you are right, Potter, it makes no difference to you and me. You no longer have the Phoenix Wand. We duel on skill alone, and after I have killed you, I can attend to Draco Malfoy. But you're too late, said Harry. You've missed your chance. I got there first. I overpowered Draco weeks ago. I took his wand from him. Harry twitched the Hawthorne wand, and he felt the eyes of everyone in the hall upon it. So it all comes down to this, doesn't it, whispered Harry. Does the wand in your hand know its last master was disarmed? Because if it does, I am the true master of the Elder Wand. A red-gold glow burst suddenly across the enchanted sky above them as an edge of dazzling sun appeared over the sill of the nearest window. The light hit both of their faces at the same time, so that Voldemort's was suddenly a flaming blur. Harry heard the high voice shriek as he too yelled his best hope to the heavens, pointing Draco's wand. Avada Kedavra! Expelliarmus! The bang was like a cannon blast, and the gold flames that erupted between them at the dead center of the circle they had been treading marked the point where the spells collided. Harry saw Voldemort's green jet meet his own spell, saw the Elder Wand fly high, dark against the sunrise, spinning across the enchanted ceiling like the head of Nagini, spinning through the air toward the master it would not kill, who had come to take full possession of it at last, and Harry, with the unerring skill of a seeker, caught the wand in his free hand as Voldemort fell backward, arms splayed, the slit pupils of his scarlet eyes rolling upward. Tom Riddle hit the floor with a mundane finality, his body feeble and shrunken, the white hands empty, the snake-like face vacant and unknowing. Voldemort was dead, killed by his own rebounding curse, and Harry stood there with two wands in his hand, staring down at his enemy's shell, end quote. Here, Harry has Voldemort dead to rights. Harry has sacrificed himself, come back to life, and now Voldemort's spells aren't landing anymore. The Elder Wand has switched allegiance to Harry, 
and any curses Voldemort tries to inflict on Harry will just rebound on him. Harry could easily just let Voldemort dig his own grave, but instead he gives Voldemort a final chance to surrender peacefully and presumably have his life spared. Voldemort, like Trump during the Stop the Steal, doesn't know when to fold him and insists on making things worse for himself. But Harry gives him every opportunity to be taken alive, and Voldemort dies by his own hand, not Harry's. This is the kind of ending that satisfies both the, the audience's desire to see the central conflict resolved by Voldemort dying, and perhaps also the narrative's low-key opposition to the death penalty. When it comes to anti-death penalty views, the narrative lays it on far less thick than Lord of the Rings does, but it's far more liberal on the issue than the Chronicles of Narnia. So perhaps you think I've gotten the author's and or the narrative stances wrong. Perhaps you agree with me, but feel that I left something off that was important. If that's how you feel, you can tweet or DM me at, at minorityof175 on Twitter. Until next time, peace out.